Welcome back to the Rebel Alliance Media Podcast. We are back in Garage Mahal and we are back recording. You are with uh, Pudi and P Nate. How you doing, man? Pretty good. Pretty good. Can't complain. We're we're into our third of the episodes we have to record in advance. So I'm not gonna lie, get a little bit tired. I know it feels it feels like, a little um we're getting worn down. I hear you, I hear you. But we just gotta trudge through. Uh vacations will happen and uh we have to uh we have to keep it going. We, well, I didn't know we paid him enough to take vacations. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he's a gracious oh, volunteer. All right, so we are uh, Rebel Alliance. Thanks so much for listening to us. Uh, we hope that you've been with us the whole time. But uh, if this is your first time with us, uh, welcome. Thanks so much for stopping in. Uh, we love when our listeners interact with us. So we'd love to hear from you. Shoot us an email. Find us on Facebook or Twitter and interact with us there. Um, and uh, we also love uh, when our listeners help us out. And one of the ways you can help us out is you find some of our posts, you find some of our podcasts, and you share them out. Uh, you you get them in front of an audience uh, that is your sphere of influence, your coworkers, your church family, your family family. Uh, you share share our stuff so that uh, our audience can expand, uh, not because we think anything that we're doing is great, but because we are talking about the things of God and the things of his word, and uh, we know that those things won't return void. So thanks so much for being with us. Uh, if you'd like to know a little bit more about us, we are uh, part of the Berean Media Network. That's a uh, a network f- uh, where you will hear sound theology. Uh, that's with the Front Pew Podcast, a podcast by pastors for pastors. It comes out on Mondays. The Layman's Cup, four guys sipping, uh, seeking the truth one sip at a time. Uh, it also comes out on Mondays. And The Two Thieves, it comes out whenever the heck they feel like it. Uh, and that is The Two Thieves Keeping Christ at the Center. Uh, I think that's what they're going with anyway. Um, so uh, those are our brothers at the BMN, and we would encourage you to go and listen to their content. We hope that you'll be edified by them. The The BMN's been on fire recently. I agree. And like, and I, I know this sounds like a shameless plug. And maybe it is. It might be a little bit. But I mean, like, everybody has just been, every every episode I've listened to in the last like three weeks has just been mustard. Like the whole time, just been sitting there, just listening to it, Wait, put it down. What do you mean by mustard? Is that a, that's is that a like term a, I don't know? Yeah, it's like one of those, it just means it's good, man. You oh. need to be more British, is what you, is what you need. Can, can you say gravy? I'm North American. Gravy? Man. Yeah, it's all no, gravy. No, it's clearly mustard. Like, like turkey's good, but you add the gravy and it's, it's I don't better. put gravy on turkey. You're crazy. Put salt on turkey. Gravy goes on potatoes. You're That's a weird it. man. No, gravy goes on everything. No. Um, anyway. But yeah, I would agree with that. And the BMN, uh, you know, they, they encourage us to get better, right? We're competitive by nature. We want to be the best. So we want to be better than our other podcast friends. And they put out solid content. So we're, we're always scrambling to keep up. So we're, we're thankful for them. Um, one of the other things that came in uh, or that, uh, that happened uh, more recently is we actually have a, a listener uh, I think the first episode he listened to was actually uh, our, our episode on marriage, which was a while ago. That's when he first reached out to us. Uh, so he's been with us for about half the time. His name is um, Adam Carius. 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 Adam Carius. And, uh, and he reached out to us a while back um, because he actually wrote a book. And uh, he wrote uh, a book called Decided. And, uh, and so he actually sent it to, to us uh, to uh, give us a copy. I actually didn't share it with, with Pootie. <laughs> sorry, about, sorry about that. 
Thanks for that. <laughs> I, yeah, you have to buy it like everyone else. Um, but he wrote this book called Decided, and it's a, it's a, it's a phenomenal little book. And I told him I'd uh, not only pl- not only read it and and review it. So um, I've posted my my review of it on uh, on Amazon. Um, but uh, I also said I'd plug it on the show. And uh, and I, I I can say that you know I, I said I would read it, and if I liked it, I would plug it on the show. So I'm plugging it on the show because I actually liked it. This was a fantastic little book. Uh, it's it's only 122 pages on my Kindle, so it's a it's a fairly quick read. And, uh, and each chapter is, is only about five or six pages. So it's a really good, really accessible book. And, and if I was going to describe it with one adjective, it would be that it would be, it would be accessible. This is a book. If you are looking to grow in your faith, uh, this is a great book to put in your hands early on, just to, just to kind of help you start grasping how your Christian life um, it, it goes beyond Sunday mornings. It goes beyond um, kind of your small group. But the, the, the message of the gospel and the, the reality of your faith infiltrates every aspect of your life. And that's really what the book is about. It's called Decided. And, uh, and I guess the thesis of it would be that every Christian needs to intentionally decide to live out their, their faith in every sphere of their life. And so it goes through all those different uh, um, spheres. I want to read you just a, a quote from the book. It says, um, it would be our hope that as we put this practice of living intentionally, so that's what this book is, is primarily about, is living intentionally and living out our faith intentionally. So it says, uh, it would be our hope that as we put this practice of living intentionally into action, that the moments which reflect God would increase and those that do not would decrease, right? So I, this is just kind of a, 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 a quote that I pulled out of the kind of the, the middle of the book that I think encapsulates the book really well. And this is what he's talking about. He gets really, really practical and, and he boils this down to this idea that I want the moments that reflect God his glory, his purpose, his will for my life, his, his the reality of his existence. I want the moments in my life that display him to increase and the moments that don't to decrease. So I want to look, I want to be more intentional for God and I want uh, the moments of my life to add up to glorifying him more today than they did yesterday and more tomorrow than they do today. And it's really about this one by one, moment by moment, decision by decision, living more intentionally for God. Um, I'm sorry, I'm I'm providing too much commentary. Let me finish the quote. (laughs) It would be our hope that as we put this practice of living intentionally into action, that the moments which reflect God would increase and those that do not would decrease. Because life is a collection of those moments we have, what you make of those moments is what your life ends up being. By watching the moments and making them what you want, your life will follow suit and be an intentionally lived life. Just as changing a system or the world so often starts with one person, so changing a life starts by changing one moment and then living the next, then the next, then the next. And so, you know, and, and reviewing this at a time, we've just been talking about the Reformation, all this kind of stuff. We just had the October 31st and, and the 500-year anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. We recognize that what we celebrated at the 500-year anniversary is, is the moment when Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the, the Wittenberg door. And, and what, what that sparked, it's not that that moment was 
everything that encapsulated that kicked off the Reformation. But that was a smart, a spark, a moment that lit all these little flames that God had simultaneously been lighting throughout Europe and throughout the Reformers. That was a moment. And so this book is really about defining those those individual moments and uh, and kind of... Um, I, I guess just being more intentional with each and every moment that you have. Mm. Um, so the book, again, the book is called Decided. Um, kind of the tagline is living a big life for God. And uh, it's available uh, in Kindle version on Amazon. And uh, the uh, author is Adam Carius. He's a listener. And uh, yeah, I would, uh, I would recommend the book. So there you go. I'm going to have to read it now. There you go. Yeah, you do. I I'm sure he wouldn't mind if he shared it with me, but I will gladly purchase it if you recommend it. <laughs> I think it's five ninety five on on Amazon. So oh, yeah, there you go. Come on, you can't even beat that. No, you can't. Good short chapters, very quick and easy to read. Um, it's it's a good book. If there are any other perspective authors out there who have written books and would like us to review it. We like reading. Yeah, we do. So we will gladly read your stuff. And I will say this. So I'll thank Adam. I'm sure he'll thank us for plugging it. Um, And uh, But honestly, thank you for sending it for a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, it was a good read. I really enjoyed it. But number two, it inspired me. You know I've always wanted to write. And and so when Adam sent this over and he kind of said, this has been a lifelong dream of mine, I finally did it. It kind of inspires you to uh, to take it a little bit more seriously, what God has put in you. And uh, and even the book itself being about decided to live intentionally kind of made me think, I, I should I, I should start uh, I should start putting uh, into action some of the things that I've been thinking about. So was it Piper that was like, don't, don't write until you're in your 40s, though? Yeah. Yeah. I've, so been, got, I've been taking him seriously for you a got while. Like, what, a couple weeks? <laughs> <laughs> Shout out. Shut up. Um, okay, so there's our book review. Uh, we're actually going to delve into a really uh, great topic, I think. Um, it's great because I just finished preaching on it. So I'm actually not going to talk a whole lot, though. I'm going to see how much Chris was listening <laughs> to the most recent sermon series. Uh, we just finished We just finished uh, at my church uh, before we jumped into uh, Reformation stuff. Uh, we just jumped into a uh, expositional series on First John, so we just preached through First John, and uh, and and particularly we were looking at First uh, John, and the fact that Paul was writing First John. In fact, in in First John chapter five, verse thirteen, John says, "I write these things." That is all the things he's written in the book, because chapter five is the last chapter, and he's kind of wrapping things up by verse thirteen. He says, "I write these things." To you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life. And so the, 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 the book of 1 John was really, it was written so that um, the people that John was writing to could have assurance of their salvation, could know that they belong to God, that God loves them, that they are in the faith, that they will spend eternity with God, that they have eternal life, all those things. Um, and uh, I, I, I could go on to just kind of give you an introduction to the background of First John, but I'm not going to do that because we're talking specifically about assurance of salvation. And I guess, I, I, first of all, let's, why don't we talk about why assurance of salvation is so important? Why is assurance of salvation so important to you, Chris? To put it really bluntly, because I want to be saved. Um, <laughs> yeah. I know that I'm a wretched sinner in need of a Savior. I want to know that that Savior has done the work that he's promised that he would do for me so that I can move on past that 
point and get into sanctification, get into living a life that shares the gospel with other people, if I'm still questioning whether I'm in or out of his kingdom, then how can I, how can I move past that until I know that I'm secured in my place there? Yeah. I think, um, you know, I think that there's, there, there are very few things in the Bible that scare me that scare us because I know we've talked about this as much as the verses like, um, Lord, Lord. Yeah. When Jesus says many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, and I'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. I think that this question, you know, am I really saved? Am I really a Christian? Do I really belong to God? Does he really love me? Those questions, um, those are the most important questions in life, right? Because this isn't just about life. This is about where you spend eternity. This is about whether or not your entire life has meant anything of eternal value. This is, this is literally the difference between is this life it or is there more? And if what we believe is true, then it's not just a matter of is this life it, but it's after this life, do I go into eternal life or eternal death? I mean, these are, these are big, big questions. There's nothing as important as this question do you really belong to god yeah we we've said it before the the most important question that anyone will be asked is who is jesus christ and what is and who is he to you yeah and that that answer is ultimately is he your savior or is he your judge basically (laughs) yeah and as much as as much as we want to say life has other meanings like raising a family and loving you know, your friends and all that stuff. Ultimately you stand alone at the end. Everyone passes into that, that state by themselves. Right. And the only thing that can, and the only thing that can shield you from the terrible wrath of God that you deserve. Right. Is Jesus Christ's blood covering you for everything you've done in your life. And if you don't have that and you don't have peace with that knowledge that you can enter into that state, that should one terrify you. Right. If you have any doubts, you should stop what you're doing and find that assurance. And because like you said, that is the most important question that we will ever face, which makes this issue assurance in your salvation. One of the most important things, if not the most important thing that a Christian needs to have grasped before they can go on with all of the other things we talk and teach on this podcast. Yeah. So um, so, I mean, I think, uh, first of all, let me just say this. I, 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 I believe, I, I, I'd love to even just hear you respond to this because I said a lot of this stuff when I was preaching through first John, but, um, you don't get a whole lot of interaction <laughs> when you're preaching. Thank you. Well, you told us not to do the amens, remember? <laughs> yeah. Or is that me? <laughs> that was you. So I really think that a lot of the depression and the fear and the anxiety and the worry that ends up paralyzing a lot of Christians um, stems from the lack of assurance in their lives, right? I, I think that um, I think that one of the things that uh, John, when he was writing First John, was writing uh, to do, right? In 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 the very first bit, right, he says. Uh, that which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen, yada, 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 right? He goes into that whole thing when he starts First John 1. And then at verse 4, he says, And we're writing these things so that your joy may be complete. So there's some level of joy that comes from 
knowing that you have eternal life, knowing that you belong to God. And so I think that a lot of the depression, the worry, and the anxiety, and the fear that we see stems in the Christian life from lack of assurance. This is this is why so many Christians are living such unempowered lives, because um, they they don't have this assurance. Yeah, absolutely. Because the, the problem is that people don't... <laughs> so many of us look for the assurance in the wrong spot. Yeah. We look for the assurance in the things that God's doing in our lives, um, in our spiritual growth, in our works, in you know our white knuckling obedience to God. Um, well, in, even in our, our our feelings, right? Like absolutely. so, so many of us, assurance comes and goes with our fleeting feelings, right? When I feel good about myself and about my obedience and about my place with God and about the other relationship in my life, then I feel like I'm assured. But then when I don't, when those feelings aren't there, then I don't feel assured and, and the depression, the anxiety and the fear jumps in. Exactly. Cause we put, we put all our trust, our trust of the assurance in the evidence of the assurance, right? right. Like instead of the actual assurance, which is God's promises to us, you know, he promises you said it, you preached through the entire book of first John so that we would know what we have assurance in. The Bible's clear on what, how we know we have assurance. If we believe in Jesus in our heart and confess with our mouth that he is Lord, we will be saved. And so if we can, if those two things are true about us, then we can have assurance because God has promised that that's the case. And so we can then go take that and have confidence and live those empowered lives free of insecurity, free of doubt, free of paralyzing fear that we aren't in. Right. You know what I mean? So, and that's just by simply trusting the word of God and trusting in the fact that his promises declare what, how we can have our, our assurance. Why don't we, why don't we break down a couple of the things you said in your, in your sermon series of what, what, how we would have assurance for our listeners? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Right, so give me a second here. Um, I, I think um, one of the things that we should say right off the bat is that um, assurance, like so many things that we uh, that come to us in our Christian life, come to us because of the completed work of Christ. It would be easier if God infused these things into us at the moment of, of, <laughs> of salvation. Like it would be so much easier if God just kind of zapped us, and one of the things we got zapped with was full assurance. Um, but what's interesting about assurance is that it's, that's not the way it is. We, we actually grow in assurance in the same way we grow in sanctification. Um, Hebrews 10 talks about how uh, God gives uh, the gift of full, the full assurance of faith to his children. Um, but it talks about that coming to us as uh, not something that comes all at once, but something that's cultivated and grows deeper and deeper over time. And so um, that's one of the first things to recognize is that assurance doesn't come with us at the moment, which means, which means if that's true, then praying the sinner's prayer is not what you should be putting, placing your hope in, right? I feel like I just said a whole lot of peas there. Um, <laughs> placing your, uh, your hope in the fact that you've uh, prayed the sinner's prayer is not what gives you assurance of salvation. Because otherwise you get it all at once the moment you prayed that prayer. And unfortunately, there are a lot of Christians who teach it that way. You pray the prayer and you're in, right? You say these things, repeat after me, and you're in. That's not true assurance. It, you know, John, in all of his, his writing of First John, when he says, I'm writing these things that you should know, he never says, look back at that moment that you prayed the sinner's prayer. 
And if you really prayed the sinner's prayer and you really meant it in your heart, then you are saved. He doesn't say that once. He gives us a whole lot of indicators that would start to indicate um, that uh, there is there is real regeneration that's happened in our hearts that's beginning to bear fruit. Um, so it's something that's cultivated. Yeah, absolutely. And it, like uh, to put it really simple for people, it is it is something that's cultivated. Like God is our Father. J. A. Packer says that. The thing Christ, most Christians miss is that God is Father, which makes us children of God, that we are equally His family. He He is our Father, we are His sons. Just like a father, like you with Quinn, use, use an example, you've built up a Quinn trust you when you throw up in the air that you will catch her every time. The first time you did Good that- thing my she, wife doesn't listen to this podcast. <laughs> the first time you did that though, shh you had to build that trust up to it. Right. You didn't throw her all the way to the ceiling the very first time. You built that trust with her. <laughs> I'm going to have CAS knocking on the door tomorrow. <laughs> so much so much so like like God with us is that he we have a good we have a perfect father who we know we can trust all the time, but we still have to learn to trust him. Right. We have to learn to trust his promises, to learn his assurances, to learn just like Quinn had to learn with you when you toss her up in the air at a, an acceptable height for anyone from CAS. <laughs> Perfectly safe. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, um, I mean, some of the things that I think, um, first of all, what I would say is if you are listening to this and, and this is an area of real struggle for you, I would say two things. Read two things. Number one, read First John because that's what the book is written for. John actually wrote the book in the midst of a church that was in turmoil, a church that had been t- torn apart because of false teaching and watched a whole lot of people that they thought were brothers and sisters in Christ walk away from the faith. Uh, and there's one point in the book where he says they left, they, they went out from us because they weren't part of us, right? That there, there was a difference between them and you. They weren't truly children of God. Um, and so he's writing in the midst of that, that horrible church split, if you will, and that ter- terrible turmoil. And he says, you can know these things. You can be certain of these things. You can know that you have eternal life. And this is why. So, so read and study First John. Um, there's a great commentary, a commentary that I used, uh, through is the Christ exalted commentary. Um, it's, it's the Christ exalted commentary series. So it's just the one on first John. I think, uh, I think that one was written by David Platt. Um, and, uh, and just a phenomenal commentary to walk you through that. So read first John. The other thing I would say is read, um, Jonathan Edwards, religious affections. Now, religious affections is a big honking, difficult book. <laughs> So if you aren't used to reading Puritans or if you aren't used to reading old dead guys, then read the book Signs of the Spirit by Sam Storms. And, uh, and he basically took the book Religious Affections and he took its, its kind of its theses, its, its main thoughts and repackaged it in modern language and put it in a much shorter, much more manageable book. Uh, so he quotes Edwards in there, and then he explains Edwards and, and that kind of stuff. So signs of the Spirit slash religious affections and read First John. So that, that those would be your reading assignments, I guess, if this is something that you struggle with. Yeah, we'll have uh, some tests for you guys to yeah. fill out. Yeah, I have some qu- quizzes <laughs> that I hand out right after my sermons. Uh, for any of you who've never visited Crossroads, that's how we roll. <laughs> Um, okay. So a, a couple of things that I think first John teaches, I, I, I said, I was going to put you on the spot. So, okay, Chris, <laughs> what did you learn? No, no. Um, what would you say are some of the things that helped you gain confidence or grow in your assurance of salvation as we studied first John? First thing to help you grow in your assurance of salvation is to understand that your salvation 
isn't based on you at all. That it's completely God's grace to you. He does all the work. You're saved by works, just not yours. Um, Amen. So that's the first thing. And once you grasp that idea, the rest kind of fall fall into line. Your assurance is based on somebody else. Yeah. And as long as you understand who that person is and what that means and what that grace means in your life, then you can have assurance because you can trust what he said yeah. at that point. And once you, once you've understood that, it makes it a lot easier. And that would be the first, the first big thing that I would say I learned throughout the series. And that's in, in terms of assurance. Second thing is that assurance gives you confidence. Yeah. So once you're assured in your salvation, you can live in a manner that's no longer having to worry, having to doubt, having to be paralyzed by insecurities, wondering where your meals are going to come from, your your clothes, things like that. Because you see that you have a father in heaven who is looking out for you. Does that mean everything's going to go peachy for you? No. But the person who's in control of your life has good for you. That might not mean good on this earth, but it's good in terms of your eternal soul. And he's watching out for you in that way. That's so you can live in a way that frees you from all these things that were trained to want and to chase after success and whatnot. Yeah. Specifically the first thing, you know, when, when you talk about, uh, one of the things that helps you grow in assurance is the recognition that salvation is a complete work of God. I mean, that's so, so, so key, right? It's that Ephesians 2, you know, but God, uh, who is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even while we were dead in our trespasses, has made us alive together with Christ. It's that, um, right? And it goes on to say, I think it's in verse 7 or 8 or something, it says, um, for it's by grace you've been saved through faith, uh, not that of yourselves, so that no one can boast. Uh, and and so that idea that if, if any of your salvation was dependent on you, then you could lose it. But because God did it, you can't undo it. And that's that's such a key. It, it, what God has done, you can't undo. What God has done, no circumstance can undo. What God has done, no work of the devil can undo. Um, if God is the one who has done it, then you cannot undo it. That's such a huge, huge thing to understand. So so part of what First John is teaching us is that um, the more we recognize that salvation is a complete work of God, the more we will, able, we will be able to grow in assurance because we recognize that, that uh, salvation is God's work. Um, I, I think that that's, uh, that's definitely key. And this is where, I mean, doctrines of grace, I mean, comes in so huge here um, because, it, like I said, any, any small semblance of uh, um, merit that you hold on to in terms of earning your own salvation uh, is only going to fuel the fire of doubt when you begin to doubt your salvation. So I'm thinking of uh, when, when we're thinking about this idea that what God has done, you can't undo. I'm, I'm thinking of John chapter 6. So I just pulled this up. And in John chapter 6, verse 35, it says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but of him who sent me. And this is the will of him that sent me, that I should lose nothing 
of all that he has given to me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And then you jump down to verse 44. It says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. And so there's this this rock-solid confidence from Jesus himself who says, Everyone that God has given to me, I won't lose one of you. You're not going to lose your salvation because of anything you do. You cannot lose what God has done for you. So I think that uh, I think that the recognition that it's all God's work is is one of the main things. And then I think one of the other great uh, things that uh, that the Book of First John does is it, it gives us indicators, right? It gives us um, it gives indicators on how to be assured that that has actually happened because it's all well and good to say, all right, Jesus says, everyone who belongs to him, no one will be cast out. He won't lose any of them. But how do I know that I actually belong to him? And I think first John gives us several indicators, right? It, it gives us indicators like it says that, um, you know, if God truly loves us and has redeemed us because of that great love that he had for us, then that love pours out into others, right? It says in 1 John that anyone who says he loves God and hates his brother is a liar. So one of the indicators that you have truly been saved by grace is is the love that you have for other people. Now, some, some of our mis- listeners might sit there and, and you might be thinking of all the people that you really struggle to love in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that that's an indication. It, one of the indications that John tells us is that if you look at the love you have for other people, that's an indicator of whether or not there is love in your heart. And the only, the source of all love is, is God's love for us. And so we love because he first loved us, whether that's loving him back or loving the other people in our lives. So that's one of the indicators. Um, yeah, and, yeah, go another ahead. one would be you grow in obedience to him, right? Absolutely. So you, yep. you long to please and do what he's commanded. You don't hate the things that he's asked you to do. And I think that's a, that's a, that was a really good telling thing in my life when I started to understand this, where I start, I started to love to do the things that I was told to do yep. things like, you know, abstaining from this or loving my brother no longer felt like chores. They felt like joy. Right. You know what I mean? And so I think that's a, a, another good indicator that you're, that you, you do have this assurance, right? When you start to do these things with a different mindset, right? Yeah. And, and one of the things I, I kept saying repeatedly throughout the, uh, the series was that it's not the perfection of your obedience. It's the direction of your obedience, right? Because it's, um, because John, first John, it says it continually. If you love God, you obey his commandments. If you belong to God, you obey his commandments. So it's not that you obey them all perfectly because you won't, but what it does say is that you will grow and you will, you know, we are being transformed, 2 Corinthians 3 says, from one degree of glory to another as we behold Jesus Christ. So the whole point there is that you are becoming more like him. You're more like him today than you were yesterday, etc. So, um, so yeah, watching your obedience grow is another indicator and, and one of the ways this works is we're not saying now that you are then saved by your obedience. What we're saying is that once you've been saved, obedience is a natural reaction. And the way I like to think about it is that there's that story in, um, uh, in uh, the book of Kings when, uh, when Solomon, right, two women come to Solomon um, and uh, the one lady had rolled over in the middle of the night and crushed her baby. And so she stole the other lady's baby and they come with the one baby and the one lady says it belongs to me. The other lady says it belongs to me. And Solomon, uh, you know, comes up with a really morbid decree. We're going to cut the baby in half, right? And everybody's like, uh, what? 
And, uh, and you know, he says, we're going to cut the baby in half and each of you get half. And then the real mother says, no, 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 don't cut the baby in half. I'd rather the baby go to her than be, than be killed. Now that act of compassion for the child, that act of love for the child, not wanting the, uh, the child to be cut in two, um, it, that didn't make that woman the child's mother, it proved that she already was the, the child's mother. And so that's what obedience does for us. It, it doesn't save us, but it shows, it proves that we have actually been saved. So, um, so yeah, growing in, in, uh, in obedience. One of the other things that I think is, is very um, obvious in First John is it talks about repentance, right? First John chapter 1 is where we get this idea that um, if you are faithful to confess your sins, then he is faithful and just to forgive. So I think one of the things that um, John is telling us, in order to gain and grow in assurance, we need to keep bringing our doubt and our fear to the cross, Right, so this isn't, you know, this isn't a Roman Catholic sort of thing where confession is necessary for the remission of sins. Jesus died once and for all for the remission of sins. But what First John is telling us, he says, confess your sins, and then, you know, God is faithful to forgive. In other words, what he's what he's trying to tell us is that bringing your sins and repentance before God reminds you of the sacrifice that Jesus made once and for all at the cross. So it's it's mentally bringing those sins because when jesus died on the cross all of your sins were were future sins so when jesus died on the cross past present future sins nailed to the cross with jesus therefore um when you repent of your sins and you ask god to forgive what that ought to do is it ought to remind you that this is one of those sins that jesus went to the cross for it's been paid for. And so that sin isn't going to plunge you into, into a, a, a desperate time of doubting God's love for you because you're, you're bringing it to him in repentance, which nails it to the cross mentally for you and associates that sin as being paid for. Another way I think we can, you can see the evidence of this assurance in your life is just simply you just know Jesus more. So right. yeah, absolutely. You, you want to talk about him. You yeah. want to learn about him. You want to study him. And the way I, I articulate it, then it's, it's not a forced habit. It's a want. Like, um, you wake up in the morning and you want to dig into the word. Yeah. I mean, you can't wait to talk about him. Yeah. You can't wait to listen to podcasts. Hopefully the rebel Alliance media, you can't, <laughs> you can't wait to get into conversations where you can talk about what Jesus has done for you and who he is and proclaim his name. And so when you start seeing those things in your life, you can start seeing and start understanding that you have this, this assurance because you have salvation because these things are growing in your, in your life. And I just think that's a, another evidence of something that is God has done by his grace in your heart uh, for people who are doubting. Yeah. Um, one of the things that uh, I, I recommended religious affections um, one of the things that Jonathan Edwards concludes is that nothing grows assurance um, as much as faith that's been tested in in the furnace of of fire. Essentially, he goes on to say, you know, faith, growing faith in the midst of difficulty. Um, and uh, and John Newton, I have a quote here from John Newton, and he says this. He says, assurance grows by repeated conflict by a repeated experimental proof of the Lord's power and goodness to save. When we have been brought very low and helped, 
sorely wounded and healed, cast down and raised again, have given up all hope and been suddenly snatched from danger and placed in safety, when these things have been repeated to us and in us a thousand times over, we begin to learn to trust simply to the word and power of God beyond and against appearances. And this trust when habitual and strong, bears the name of assurance, for even assurance has degrees. And and one of the things I think that he's saying there that's implicit, and I think that's something else that's implicit in the book of uh, 1 John, is, is essentially that assurance grows as you're busy about doing God's work, right? And, and so the point is, is that the devil quite honestly, is going to just leave you alone if you're not doing much for the kingdom. (laughs) You're not going to get as much uh, hardship. Like if I'm doing stuff at the church and I'm starting new ministries or, or, or any of that kind of stuff, um, if, if I'm not getting any kickback, if I'm not facing any opposition, a lot of times I, I, I start to question whether or not this (laughs) is the right thing to do. Because the reality is, is if we're busy about the Lord's business, we're going to meet difficulty. And John Newton is, is telling us that one of the, the things that grows assurance more than anything else is when we are facing difficulty. So make yourself busy about the Lord's work, and you don't have time to sit around and, and wonder and pine about whether or not God really loves you because his love for you is proven over and over again as his grace becomes sufficient for you in putting your hands to the work of building his kingdom on earth. I know. I know. We didn't. Uh, we didn't want to spend uh, a whole lot of time recording on uh, on this uh, particular episode, but this is a topic that I think is so practical and so important. So hopefully that was of some practical help to people. And I would just say let's let's turn to um, uh, religious affections, the Bible itself, First John, signs of the Spirit. And, uh, and I think if you can grow in your assurance of salvation, I think uh, it's going to do wonders for uh, your ability to understand and articulate the gospel. Absolutely. There's another good book, uh, Assurance of Salvation, Martin Lloyd-Jones. Yep, Assurance of Salvation I by Martin Lloyd-Jones. I borrowed that from somebody else. <laughs> uh, Assured by uh, J.C. Ryle uh, is also uh, fantastic. So there's lots of great books out there. Um, less, uh, a lot of the books were written a long time ago, which, which I think is saying something. But anyway, um, I, I did want to end. Uh, we, we, we got a suggestion by one of our listeners that we ought to get back to doing some of the Christian life hacks. So I was actually going to give you a Christian life hack. Oh I'm going to put you on the spot on this one. Um, but uh, but how, so how do you deal with envy in your life? How do you deal with, uh, with jealousy in your life? How do you deal with that? When you, when you want something that somebody else has, when you see things going well for somebody else, how do you deal with that? Well, <laughs> pretty simple to be honest with you. For first thing, you you just have to continually remind yourself right away that I don't deserve anything I have in the first place. So you have to understand that what somebody else's success does and what they've done in their life and all those other things isn't going to tip the scales in their favor in heaven. I'm saved by God's grace. We've talked. We've just spent 35 minutes talking about being saved by God's grace. The very first thing when you're you're tempted by envy, see things going well in somebody else's life, is to remind yourself that you're saved by Jesus Christ's grace in your life. That's the first thing I do. Remind myself the most important question in the world and then answer, answer that. The second thing I do is simply remember that 
I've been given what I've been given and I'm, I need to be a faithful steward with what I have. There's the parable of the talents. I may be the person who was given two talents or one talent. I'm responsible for what I was given, not what I wasn't given. So I'm not responsible for what you've been given or the guy down the street has been given. I'm responsible for what God's given me. And so I have to do the best I can, I can with that, with that. And then he will give me more responsibility or whatnot down, down the road. In terms of if you want to look at this just in a in almost like a worldly way, jealous of you know somebody's success or something something like that, the way I can combat that in my life, I don't I don't generally struggle with jealousy that much, but the way I combat that in my life my life simply is just to remember that everything that we have on this earth is is temporal. It, these things I don't take them with me. Um, and so when I look at these things, like I get, like I said, somebody's success or, or whatnot, these things ultimately are put in somebody's life to draw them either closer to God or farther away from God. And if they're not in my life, I'm like I said, they're, they're not going to be a big problem for me at that point. So I just remember that those things aren't as important as what God's done in my life. It's good. Um, all right. Well, thanks uh, so much for joining us. We uh, look forward to being back in the studio and uh, and we look forward to getting back to uh, recording some episodes week by week as we go. So uh, if you have any questions, uh, shoot them to us and uh, we'll be sure to answer them. Take care. Bye. You've been listening to the Rebel Alliance podcast, where we equip you to engage culture through a biblical worldview. Please take the time to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Write a review and leave a five-star rating. If you would like to see all of our content, which includes podcast episodes uploaded to iTunes each Wednesday, and short videos about engaging culture released on Facebook each Friday, please visit us online at rebelalliancemedia.com. We love hearing from you, so if you have questions, comments, or would like to suggest episode topics, send us a message on Facebook or email us at info at rebelalliancemedia.com. Thanks for joining us, and you may now consider yourself part of the rebellion.